Hi, this is Bill Arnold. Missed a show or need me talking to help you sleep tonight? I have several solutions to that situation. Here are the podcasts from the show. You are the best for listening and supporting Faith Radio. Make a difference. And a warm welcome to Afternoons with me. I'm Bill Arnold, and thank you for joining me today. I hope your Monday's going well. It's a beautiful day here in the Twin Cities area. It's awfully nice to see the sun, and that uh, warmth on the face doesn't feel bad either. I sure enjoyed uh, chatting about Psalm 28 in the last half hour with David Miles. Again, chapter 28, verses 7, 8, and 9. The Lord is my strength and my shield. My heart trusts in him, and I am helped. My heart leaps for joy, and I will give thanks to him in song. The Lord is the strength of his people, a fortress of salvation for his anointed one. Save your people and bless your inheritance. Be their shepherd and carry them forever. And I just love those three words, the three S's, strength, shield, shepherd. Those are good things to chew on uh, today. Think about that. Think about how God will be your strength. He will be your shield, and he will be your shepherd. Because I think we are all interested in a little extra strength, protection, and guidance. I know I am. So we're going to have a great uh, time coming up with David T. Lamb. He's an Old Testament scholar with a ton of degrees, and he's written at least five or six books, and I just really, really like David. So I called him, and he said, yeah, I can do it, so let's do it. Let's take 60 seconds and bring him on. We don't need to live in fear. Here's Dr. Linda Mintel. The best thing is to say, okay, I feel really anxious right now, but it's going to be okay because I can take it. You have to learn to tolerate that negative feeling. But the more you face it, the better it gets. So don't run from fear when those anxious thoughts come into your mind. Don't try to push them away. Instead, allow them to come, tolerate that, and then correct your thinking with something that's a little more rational like, Yes, I'm afraid, but God is with me, and he will get me through this, and I can deal with it. I can do it. And if you say to yourself, I can do this, it might be hard, it might be difficult, you correct that thought into something more reasonable, you're going to find out that you're going to tolerate that anxiety, and you're actually going to decrease the fear. Listen to Calming Fear Amid the Coronavirus Outbreak at MyFaithRadio.com. Just click on the Dr. Linda Mental Show under the program tab. Welcome back to the show. My guest, David T. Lamb, Dr. David T. Lamb, is my guest. He's written several books, like five or six maybe, and he's an Old Testament scholar. I just find David absolutely a charming, delightful guest, and he agreed to come back on the show. David, welcome back. Hey, Bill. It's my pleasure to join you today. Thank I you. Love, I love chatting with you every time. Well, I'm such a fan, and I just... Uh, then I heard you were teaching a class on Psalms, and I got all excited, because right now I just have had my head in Psalms a lot lately. Yeah, you and a lot of other people, which is a good thing. It is a good thing. And I think I heard this in the last week, is the person that starts the conversation usually controls the conversation. So what a wonderful thing to go to Psalms first and let God uh, start the conversation. Because usually yes, usually amen. I show up praying, going, give me, help me, give me, help me, give me, help me. <laughs> 
And if I go to Psalms yeah. and let God start the conversation, I, I feel like I can be much more intentional uh, with my prayer time. Yes, I think that's fantastic. One of my um, Old Testament professors, John Golden, used to say that um, Psalms are 150 things we could say to God. God has authorized these prayers. And so we know that people have been praying these prayers for literally thousands of years and connecting to God through these 150, 150 prayers. And um, a lot of people have been blessed by them over these last centuries. So when you teach a class on, on Psalms, David, where, how do you start? Do you start with a big overview? What do you do? I'm just so curious. Yeah, it's hard. Um, I mean, one of the things we, we you know, we got to start talking about Hebrew poetry a little bit. And I, we probably don't want to do too much of that right here and right now. But, you know, Hebrew poetry is a little bit different than poetry that we might um, <laughs> uh, encounter uh, in, in, in the U.S. And, you know, we, everything rhymes. Um, so things are a little bit different in the Hebrew Bible. And that's great. Um, but, but basically the way the courses, I typically divide the courses, I, I look at different types of psalms. Um, so I, I do kind of some overview. We have to look at all the different types. But I like to think about um, the genres or types or forms, and, and I think that's helpful. So instead of going from, like, starting with number one and ending with 150, we jump around a lot. Um, it's, you know, there's not kind of a, a natural flow. But um, so we look, at, we look at psalms of thanksgiving and psalms of praise, and we look at psalms of lament um, and psalms of um, repentance, basically. Um, so we kind of look at the, all the types that are together and— spend a class on each of those. And it seems like the Psalms are speaking to people now more than ever, because when I'm chatting with some of my, f- my friends and asking, you know, what are you doing in God's Word lately? And they always, I've, I've heard a lot of my friends go, ah, so I'm, in, I'm in Psalms a lot. Yeah, I think, um, I think it's a, this is a good time. Um, I, again, I, uh, I remember when I was younger, <laughs> I didn't, the Psalms didn't speak to me that. I love, I love the stories. I love the stories of David and, and Abraham and Joseph and, um, you know, and Nehemiah. I love the stories um, in the Old Testament. But I think at times in my life, when I have been struggling with my health or discouragement or stress or anxiety, it's, the, it's, that, it's at times like that, times of crisis, where I've, I've heard God's voice. Um, in the Psalms. And I think a lot of us are kind of in a similar place. I, I've been seeing Psalms popping up all over in, in churches and in emails and in Facebook. And I think that's a, that's, I think that's a really, it's, this is a perfect time to delve deeply into the book of Psalms. Yeah, I'm going to re- be repeating myself once again today. I'm a little reluctant to do this, but it's so powerful. In Psalm 28, David, I, I've loved the last three verses. I've been kind of meditating on them for several days now. Uh, you know, in seven, it says, the Lord is my strength and my shield. And in verse nine, yeah. it says, uh, you know, you'll be their, sh- their shepherd and carry them forever. So I just focused on the three S words, the strength, the shield, and the shepherd. And I go, boy, that's three things that people could uh, really s- sink their teeth into right now and get comfort from. Yeah. And I think, um, you know, I, I think um, one of the things that, you know, you sometimes hear um, people that when pastors are speaking today, they're, they're supposed to um, uh, afflict the comfortable and comfort the afflicted. And I think many of us today are feeling afflicted. Um, we're, we're cut off. 
We are um, worried about going to the grocery store. We're, you know, we're worried that maybe someone, even in our family, as they go to the grocery store, they're going to get infected. And um, it's a difficult time. And so to be reminded that God is our, our strength and our shield and our shepherd, um, I think that's beautiful. And th- those words uh, speak powerfully to all of us um, in whatever um, situations and whatever anxieties and concerns we have. Thank you for sharing that. Oh, you're welcome. You know, when I think of Second Timothy 3.16 and that all Scripture is God-breathed and is useful, and even though we are in Christ and we're no longer under the law, um, th- there's, there's an amazing amount of things to learn in the Old Testament. And, yeah. um, I'm, you know, maybe I'm just going to throw this, this question out. This is not a softball question at all, but, I mean, for example, what, sh- what should Christians be learning from the Mosaic Law? Um, yeah, well, no, that's a great question. I love, I love Paul's, um, you know, uh, the, the quote, all scripture is inspired. Cause when, when Paul wrote that, he wasn't thinking this letter I'm writing to Timothy is inspired. He was talking <laughs> about the old Testament, you uh-huh. know? So, um, uh, now again, I think we can understand that as understanding all, all old and new and Mosaic law, um, is inspired and profitable. I think, um, you know, I think that the, the book of, uh, you know, the first five books of the Bible, the Pentateuch, the books of Moses, um, speak to us in a lot of different ways. I mean, there's just, there's almost too much, too much to say. Although I think the thing we can say is the Israelites um, lived with oppression and um, particularly in the book of Exodus. And so for any of you who are, who are feeling like, you, you know, you've got it bad, maybe you think you've got a bad boss. Um, well, the Israelites could relate on some of In fact, you could probably argue that they had it worse. Um, and so, you know, you can read through the book of Exodus, but what did, the, what did the Israelites do in their time of oppression? They cried out to the Lord. And as we see in the Psalms, God heard their cry. So we see this at the end of chapter two in Exodus, that um, in the time of crisis, the people cried out to the Lord. And what does it say? It says, Yahweh um, they were groaning under their slavery. God heard their groaning. This is the end of chapter 2 of Exodus. God heard their groaning. He remembered his covenant. He noticed them, and, and, and he began, began a work of redemption and deliverance uh, through his, his servant Moses. So um, I think kind of wherever you're at, um, Psalms, Exodus, Pentateuch, um, God can speak to us and encourage us. And again, go back and going back to these things that you said, communicate to God, God communicates to us that he is our strength, shield, and our shepherd. And I think, David, the reason I asked that question is because so many people right now are, are going through their, you know, read the Bible in a year, and I'm, you know, I'm, I'm still in those first five books and wondering what, what should I be really learning from it. And I certainly think that God has yeah. revealed so much of his holiness. Um, yeah. And, you know, our, our need to be separate from sin. Yeah, no, I think that's really good. And, um, <laughs> you know, I, I, we, we forget, many of us forget that um, that Jesus was asked about what were the two greatest commands. Um, and he goes back to Deuteronomy and Leviticus. <laughs> yeah. Jesus loved those Old Testament laws, and he was familiar with them. Obviously, the law um, uh, in, in, in Deuteronomy chapter 6, to love the Lord your God with all your heart, the Shema, as it's um, often referred to, and then the love your neighbor as yourself in Leviticus 19. So um, I think 
to remember as we're reading through, particularly maybe the book of Leviticus, because Leviticus can be hard for most of us, um, but to be remembering, how are these laws helping me love God better with my heart, soul, mind, and strength? And how are these laws helping me love my neighbor better? And um, if, if we can be asking ourselves those questions, I think we will get new insight, and maybe it'll, it'll spur us on to, to move through these parts of the Bible that are, are a little bit more difficult. But even, um, you know, any of us who are struggling, uh, getting caught up in these, in these Old Testament laws, God can so, still speak to us about what does it mean for us to love Him better and love our neighbor better. Mm-hmm. Dr. David T. Lamb is my guest. If anybody wants to correctly guess his middle name, I will send you something here from Faith Radio. 877-933-2484. We'll see how, how well people pay attention, because I have revealed that middle name before. So we'll see if anybody shows up with it. And I've got plenty of books here at the studio. I can send you something. You'll be happy. You'll get something. So, David, let me take a little break. When I come back, I want to ask you about uh, some of the ceremonial washings of the Old Testament and how they might apply today. I'll be right back. Welcome back to the show. Dr. David T. Lamb is my guest. Got a bunch of uh, guesses coming in. David, none of them are right so far. <laughs> yeah, it's a hard one. I got a Thomas, I got a Timothy, I got a a name I can't even pronounce. How do you say that, Rebecca? Do you have any idea? Thiasis? Thiasis, yeah. That, that's not right either. Never heard of that. No. It's a good guess, though. Nope. Um, so, uh, David, when you, a lot of the ceremonial cleansings and washings are kind of lost on a lot of us. But nowadays, yeah. I think we're paying a little bit more attention to ritual cleaning and washing. <laughs> and and I've realized today I've never in my life once washed my hands correctly. <laughs> yes, yes. Well, you got, this is, again, many, many things, many ways that the Old Testament speaks to us. Actually, <laughs> I was reading something in National Geographic a few years ago about um, they were talking about quarantine and these Old Testament laws about um, keeping lepers and sick people separate is kind of almost the very first ancient examples of people being quarantined. And we got it in the Hebrew Bible, and they, they just didn't do it anywhere else. It was like really one of the earliest places. But there's truth there, and we're discovering this now in the 21st century, that people need people who are sick if we don't want the disease to spread we got to be washing our hands, and you got to be keeping people separate. And the Old Testament understood that. Yeah. When you read the Old Testament and you see stories where someone approaches the priest and they've got, you know, a, a blemish on their head or a boil or something, and they're instantly considered unclean, whoop, explain that to us because, you know, Jesus is out touching the lepers, and, I, I, you know, how does that all work? Yeah. And again, um we don't we can't fully comprehend all of what was meant there but the 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 gist of it was um the the priests were people they were basically the the you know the 3000 year old version of doctors and because this was their area they would know what diseases could spread what skin diseases were serious and so the priests were looking for certain things that could be contagious. 
Um, and when they discovered something in, from their experience that was going to be contagious, it was their responsibility to keep to um, have people wash, to encourage them to wash, because we all know now <laughs> that more than washing, ever. exactly washing is good, and it, it can clean out um, infection, um, and and also the washing is part of what will prevent the spread of the disease, um, whether that's a skin disease or something else. So it it seems strange to us, but actually these cleansing and these kind of quarantines that we see in the Old Testament were um, really progressive. And at that point in time, this was cutting edge medicine and, and it kept Jewish people, ancient, ancient Israelites from, it kept them healthier. And so, um, yeah, they, they, some places it goes in a little bit more detail, and it just seems kind of silly to us. But in that context, it made a lot of sense, and it was actually cutting-edge cutting edge, um, uh, science, medical science. Mm-hmm. Now, also in the Mosaic Law, as I'm reading through my yearly Bible, I'm finding that, that we, the law is pretty much saying God it, it will not forsake his children, and that Israel would be disobedient, um, but God would, God would make atonement for his land and his people. And this whole idea yeah. of not being forsaken and, um, is really comforting. It is. And again, I think um, we tend to think, uh, you know, Christians, I'll speak as a Christian now, uh, we tend to think that, you know, Jesus, is, um, Jesus kind of offered a way for people to get reconciled to, to, to God. And certainly he did with his death on the cross. But um, we see kind of hints of this. In fact, um, the book of Hebrews does a great job of helping, uh, helping New Testament Christians understand Old Testament sacrifice. Um, but the Day of Atonement shows up in Leviticus, and that was the time where all the nation was um, they were basically reconciled with God, and there was a sacrifice. But it's because people sin, and um, and you know the, the atonement for sin was um, an annual thing. People needed to do it. They needed to get con- connected to God, and it was a time for people to um, just acknowledge their sins and get reconnected with God. And it was it had both a spiritual and a and a supernatural and a uh, well, uh, many connotations to help people connect to the God that they had, um, uh, I don't know, that they had um, been cut off from because of their sinful behavior. Mm-hmm. David, was the principle of sowing and reaping, was that originally an Old Testament teaching? Um, sowing and reaping, um, you know, uh, well, I mean, I have to think about that a little bit more. I mean, you you, you see um, hints of these, this kind of language with, uh, you know, obviously in terms of sewing. I'm not. Can I ask a clarification in terms of sewing? In terms of like what what you do is going to come back to you know the bad things that you do are going to come back on you, and the good things you do are going to come. You know, you know is I, that what you mean by that? I, I yeah, a little bit because I'm in Deuteronomy, and I made a note of this in my Bible. It says, uh, see, I'm setting before you today a blessing and a curse. The blessing, uh-huh. if you obey the commandments of the Lord your God, which I command you today, and the curse, if you do not obey the commandments of the Lord your God, but turn aside from the way that I have, the way I am commanding you today, 
to go after other gods that you have not known. Yeah. And yeah. maybe I'm using the wrong expression of sowing and reaping there, but... No, I think, I mean, I think, I mean, you know, Paul says, you know, the wages of sin are death. And I think we all could see that um, things that we do, sinful things that we do, lead us away from God and have massive implications and ramifications. I think that's a lot of what Deuteronomy is talking about, that as as we um, are disobey God, disobey God's laws, do things that are um, damaging to ourselves or to the people, as we, as we don't love God with our whole heart, as we don't love our neighbor as ourselves, there are consequences. And, um, you know, I think the, I think both Old and New Testament reveal the consequences of sin. Um, and yet, again, bo- I'd say both in the Old and New Testament, we see how God is a God of grace and God is slow to anger when even when we do things that are wrong that we um, we do things where we aren't loving God with our heart, soul, mind, and strength, and we aren't loving our neighbors ourselves. God's still is gracious, and he's slow to anger. And I think even in these curses and blessings that we find in the, you know, in the late 20s and 30s of Deuteronomy, I think we see the fact, just the fact that God is warning people about disobedience tells us that he wants us to obey. And he knows that the, the consequences of disobedience are going to be severe. And I, it's, it's like a parent that tells a child, you know, don't do these things, because if you do these things, um, you know, a parent that tells a, a child who's a teenager and just got a driver's license, hey, don't drink and drive. It's going to be dangerous. And if someone chooses to do that, that then the, the consequences could be severe. So I think I think that's the same way. God is choosing to warn people um, in advance and saying, this is this is what's going to happen. And I, I think that's, I see that the hand of uh, a compassionate God um, in those warnings as well. Mm-hmm. David, I don't know what your schedule's like today. Do you have a little extra time or do I have to let sure. you go at the end of the bottom nope, of the hour? I'm good. Terrific. I'm good. So, um, cause I got a whole bunch more questions and I know that listeners would love to chime in as well. If you have sure. a question for, David T. Lamb, an Old Testament uh, scholar, this is the time to ask. I've got a bunch more, but I certainly have time for yours as well. And the number, which is a text number, you probably know it. Let me repeat it again, 877-933-2484. That's the, the number that you can text a question, and I'll ask on your behalf. I'll give it again, 877 933 and we've got time now with David. He's giving us a little bit more time. And also, uh, we've got some great uh, guesses coming in, David, on your middle name. I'll read a couple of them here. We've got uh, okay. Torah. That's not a good one. <laughs> Tobias, Terrence. Okay. Uh, they keep coming in. Teddy, uh, Tiberius, Titus. No, we're getting a lot of guesses, but they're all wrong to this point. But if you do guess it right, what... What the T stands for, I've got a book here in the studio I will send. It's, it's, it's a little bit like Rumpel Stillskin, right? <laughs> <laughs> it is. <laughs> oh, boy. We'll take a short it's break. It's not Rumpel Stillskin. <laughs> we'll take a short break and be back with uh, Dr. David T. Lamb in just a minute.
All right, we're back with Dr. David T. Lamb. It's not Thelonious. It's not Thaddeus. It's not Theodophilus. It's not Timothy. It's not Teddy. So those are the, the last five or six guesses that came in. The reveal will come later in the uh, in the time together with uh, with David, and uh, we'll find out if anyone strikes the right middle name and gets a free book. But uh, David, let me ask you this: um, as I was still in my Old Testament study from this year, as I'm doing my through the Bible in a year, I'm finding out that the Mosaic Law, obviously and clearly, will demonstrates the the value of the the intercessor between God and man because of the high priest and the, Le- the, the Levitical priesthood and all they had to go through, you know, who could enter, uh, what they would need to bring for a sacrifice and they'd have to have the right animal. And then there were requirements on what the priest would be wearing and their appearance and their clothing and their cleansing. And what was the point of all that? Uh, yeah, those are great questions. Um, wow. Um, so, Sometimes the text makes it clear. Sometimes it just tells you what happens. And so we have to kind of read between the lines. I mean, obviously, the uh, the these laws, a lot of them show up in the book of Leviticus, are keeping um, God's God. What it means to be holy is that God is separate and distinct and different and um, God. For God's holiness is wrapped up in his righteousness and his distinctness. And so the priest, as a mediator, goes between this holy, perfect, righteous God um, and people who are fallen and, you know, depraved. Um, And so the the priest is kind of, it's like a bridge going from one side of holiness to another side of unholiness. And so... The, the the priest would have holy garments that would, in some ways, it's almost like armor <laughs> to protect him from God's holiness. Um, now we have to, have to be careful. The text never says that you know these these garments are your armor, but but the 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 armament the 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 vestments the garments that the priests are wearing were also um, anointed. Um, which and the anointing mm. set them apart as being distinct and holy, just as the priest, just as Aaron initially and Aaron's sons were anointed, and all priests uh, moving forward were anointed. So these special garments, these special things that the, the priests needed to do, kept them unique. Um, just as the you know the the Ark of the Covenant was God's holy presence in the, the midst of the nation of Israel. And while the, the Israelites were living in tents, God lived in a tent in the Ark of the Covenant in this box inside the tabernacle. Um, but lest people take God's holiness in their midst for granted, God set up a lot of things to say, hey, um, I'm with you, but, um, but we need to be careful about how we approach God, um, because God wanted his people to take his holiness seriously. And I think some of the, that's what's happening with these garments and these offerings and these rituals. They were ways to keep, um, to make clear this bridge between divine holiness and human unholiness. Mm-hmm. One of the books uh, David has written is called God Behaving Badly. 
And there is, is, is the God of the Old Testament, angry, sexist, and racist. And I'm reading Numbers 21, and it talks about the people grew impatient on the way. They spoke against God and against Moses and said, why have you brought us out of Egypt to die in the wilderness? There is no bread, there is no water, and we detest this miserable food. And the Lord sent venomous snakes among them, and they bit the people, and the Israelites died. (laughs) When you you start to read these passages, David, you think of, you see God um, doing this kind of, this kind of behavior, and you go, okay, is this, is he punishing them? Is he, is, I don't know, help me sort this out. Yeah, and it's it's a, it's a weird passage, and um, there are a lot of difficult to understand texts, and I think it's great um, both uh, uh, for you, Bill, and and your listeners, and hopefully you guys are um, as you're reading through the Bible in a year or in whatever kind of um, path you're 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 going through Scripture on. It's good to just slow down when you get to some of these weird or difficult to understand passages, and be asking yourselves. Um, maybe, you know, if, if asking your, your family members or your friends at work or your friends at church and your Sunday school class, hey, help me make sense of this. And so what you're doing is great. Um, the, the bronze servant there, you know, God sends these, these snakes to attack his people. And um, I think we need to remember at this point in time, this, the Israelites have been delivered from literally centuries of, um, of enslavement and oppression, and then they witnessed God delivering them from the most powerful nation on the planet, Egypt at that point in time, with these dramatic plagues um, culminating in the, de- the, the Passover, the death of the firstborn. Then he, he parted the Red Sea for them on the way out of the country. Just amazing. I mean, you, you, you've seen the movies, the Ten Commandments or Prince of Egypt or whatever. These are These people um, have witnessed some amazing things, and yet, despite all of this, they're still asking God, "Hey, God, you know, why are you doing this? Or what's what's going on here?" They're they're doubting and struggling, um, and not that it's it's wrong to ask God tough questions. There's certainly a lot of people that do that, but these people have seen God do amazing things, and I think at this point in time, God is just saying, "Look, I'm going to be slow to anger." But God does get angry. <laughs> He's slow, but he gets there. And even though he, he was angry and he did judge them with these snakes in, in Numbers 21, he also provided a way to, to, for them to be delivered. Mm-hmm. And they, they lifted up this snake, and they looked to the snake, and they were fine. And again, you know, Jesus um, talks about this. Um, in the Gospels, you know, the, the sign that these people that um, Jesus is referring, they, they get the sign of this snake. And just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so will the Son of Man be lifted up. And so, yes, the wages of sinners, death. Death is coming. God will judge. But he always provides us a way uh, to be saved, as he did in Numbers 21, and as he does with Jesus later on. That's beautiful. Uh, a listener wants to know about Ezekiel twenty one twenty one. It says that they examined the liver. Um, what in the world did that mean? Wasn't the liver also an expression for the heart? Like, I love you with all my liver, but no one would really say that. <laughs> um, so, sorry, this is Ezekiel 21. 21. Um, 21, 21. It says okay. they examined um, the liver. And she said, did they, she's a nurse. She said, did they know at that time that the liver is the filtration system of the body? If not, what in the world does this mean? Um, 
I don't know what they knew. They probably didn't. <laughs> but, um, but um, oh, I see. He inspects the liver. I mean, there are a lot of strange things that um, not Israel, but also the nations around them, they would often use bodily parts um, to hear from gods or from their gods. I mean, the, the Israelites, when the Israelites did this sort of thing, that wasn't a good thing. Um, um, I'm looking at this passage here, um, Ezekiel 21, 21. He inspects the liver. I'm not sure what's going on there. Um, that is a little bit weird. Um, I don't know what the, um, the, you know, God is speaking to Ezekiel. He calls Ezekiel the son of, son of man, um, and he's telling him what to do there. But Ezekiel is a weird book. It almost didn't make it into the canon, <laughs> and um, I think to whoever, whoever is reading through it, well done, um, well done to read Ezekiel, well done to ask these questions. They probably didn't know much. Um, that you probably know a lot more about what livers, what role livers play in the human body than the ancient Israelites did. Yeah, no doubt. Um, but 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 as as uh, as Bill just alluded to, the these internal organs had deeper symbolic significance. So um, the bowels, the heart, um, uh, signifying different things than they did, but kind of, it was sort of the depths of your emotions uh, in many cases. And so, you know, when someone is, you know, moved in with their heart, we love, we love the God, God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength, or when they're, um, you know, things are going on internally for someone. And the psalmist would often, you know, talk about what is going on on the, the depths of their body. It's, it's kind of a, it's symbolic representing their emotions often and kind of the depths of the emotions. And I couldn't tell you exactly what emotion the, the liver would represent, but <laughs> uh-huh. something, something deep, something deep. Yeah. David, in your book, God Behaving Badly, uh, you, you, you start with this very provocative question, where you say, how does one reconcile the loving God of the Old Testament with the harsh God of the New Testament? That's a, I know you're trying to stimulate some thinking because um, it's, the question sounds wrong. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, um, you know, the, the point I'm, you know, I, I will ask that in a class and, and people's heads just kind of, they look all kind of confused and then they go, now, wait a minute, that's the wrong question. Yeah, you mean, <laughs> how, did the, the, how did the mean yeah. Old Testament God morph into a nice guy like Jesus? Yes, exactly. That's the way that people are used to hearing it. I mean, I think the reality is the, the God of the Old Testament is, is wonderful, beautiful, amazing, and in some cases, incomprehensible. And so to think that in my puny, very limited brain, I can somehow understand everything about God, well— you know, I can understand a lot about God, but there are going to still be the day I die. I mean, I, I've given my, you know, I'm 58 years old. I've given, you know, much of my life to study of the Bible. And I'm still confused about God and God's behavior sometime. And that's okay, because I think I've got a good another 20, 30, maybe 40 years in me. And I'm going to keep studying God and God's, God's Word. And I'm going to make a little bit more sense of Him over the next 20, 30, 40 years. But um, I think the point here is that the God of the Old Testament is complicated, as is Jesus in the New Testament. And we can, we can pursue Jesus 
Jesus invites us to pursue him. And, and there are many things that we can understand about him. And, and as we are pursuing Jesus, we get to know him better. And yet, even in that process, there are things that Jesus says in the New Testament that just don't make sense to us. In fact, sometimes Jesus seems kind of harsh and almost kind of mean. And that's, that's kind of what I'm getting at there. You know, Jesus talks, Jesus talks about hell more than anyone in the Bible. But he does that because he loves people, and he knows that they need to be warned. Mm-hmm. And, 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 and so I think that's, that's kind of where I'm, what I'm trying to get at. I'm trying to get people to realize that um, the God of the old, the God of the new, I mean, they're one and the same. But God is more complicated than we sometimes think he is. And that's okay, because we can keep struggling, and we can say, God, reveal yourself to me. And I think that's a prayer that God loves to answer. Mm-hmm. But it may take a while. Yeah. Well, I, I, I would guess that a lot of believers would have had or have some possible negative images of the God of the Old Testament, especially if they're trying to explain it to someone who's not a Christian. Certainly. Certainly. Explain Certainly. how I, all these people died instantly and God did this and God did that. And those are, are kind of negative images of God from the Old Testament yes. that are sometimes hard to yes. explain. And they are hard to explain. And again, whenever I have a conversation with someone, I've spoken on a lot of college campuses. Um, uh, I mean, we don't have time to kind of go through all of them. But I mean, let me just say one thing. If you have a, a loved one, a family member, a child or a parent or a co-worker, uh, again, for me, I speak on a lot of college campuses. When I talk to somebody who is struggling with the perception of God as a God of violence or as, as a God that sends plagues and diseases, right? That's certainly timely. How do we, how do we reconcile a God that might send plagues or diseases? Um, I think when people ask me questions about this, the first thing I got to say to them is, um, thank you for telling me that. Um, th- and I, and I should say, you know, I have a lot of the same questions. And I think we can start to make sense of them. But I think the first thing we just need to acknowledge is um, it's good to ask questions, and it's good to struggle. And I think we see a lot of people in, in Scripture, at least, that struggle with God. But in the midst of their struggling, you can still pursue God. And so I think if you have a friend who is a, a skeptic or agnostic or maybe an atheist, and it's asking you hard questions about God— the thing, one of the things I would want to say to them is the fact that you're struggling with this tells me a sign that God is probably at work in you. Mm. <laughs> you know? And, and how would you feel about, you know, looking at, you know, some original documents? I mean, well, the thing I, I mean, I love the Old Testament, but I'm going to often try to get people into the Gospels because I want to, particularly for people who are skeptics or, or agnostics or um, atheists, I want to get them into the Gospels because I want to introduce them to Jesus. But um, if they have specific questions about the Old Testament, you know, I, I take them right into the Old Testament and say, hey, you want to just spend some time talking about these together? And you share your questions, and I'll share my questions, and we'll see if we can kind of make sense of this. But to use these hard questions as a way to get to know people better and to talk about deep things, to talk about God and God's character, um, I think that's fantastic. And it, it may be a slow process, and we may not get all our questions answered right away, but I think we will begin over time to make sense of God and God's Word. And I think that's a good thing. I do too. Dr. David T. Lamb is my guest, and it's not, the T does not stand for Tri or Tanner, T-R-I, maybe it was Trinity, or Tanner, (laughs) 
or Trigvi. Uh, so you're, you're, or Todd, we're still striking out, but uh, we'll take a little break and be right back. Still have some more questions coming in. If you think you know what T stands for, I got a book here in the studio. I'll send you. I don't know what book I'll send, but I got a bunch. All right, be right back. Welcome back to the show. Dr. David T. Lamb is my guest. One of the things I really appreciate about you, David, and respect is your, um, not only do you have this humility and vulnerability, I mean, you often will say that you don't know exactly how to answer that. I mean, you got your PhD from Oxford and you're as bright as they come, and yet you're, you're still willing to say, you know, I got more work to do on that, or I don't know exactly what the answer is. I really appreciate that. Well, thank you. Yeah, I mean, uh, it's taken me a long time, and there are still situations where I probably should say that sooner. <laughs> but, um, you know, you, you find you're, you're talking for a while, and you realize, yeah. I, don't really, I don't really know what I'm talking about here. <laughs> so maybe I should just say, I have no idea. <laughs> uh, I say that all the time. All right, here's a question from a listener. In Colossians, uh, let's see, 7, when it states, is that right? No, wait, see. When it says, my, if my people call me by name. It's Chronicles. Yeah, I'm sorry, Chronicles. Second Chronicles 7. Um, if my people call me by name, would we, the saved, be of that verse? Or is this passage in regards to the elect, Israel? Also, if so, can we apply this passage to our present and unique faith test that we are in? Yeah, that's a great question. In fact, that's a really good, um, uh, you know, people that teach the Bible will talk about a hermeneutical question. Hermeneutics is the, the, the interpretation of Scripture. How do we know when we can appropriate a text that is clearly talking about a very different context? How can we appropriate that for today? And I think that's a, that's a fantastic question. Um, I think there are some clues that might, you know, well, you know, we'll take Psalm 23, for example. Um, the psalmist wrote, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Um, now, obviously, the person that wrote that psalm, now it mentions David's name in the heading. So let's just assume that was David that wrote that. David, let's say David wrote that, and he was a shepherd. He knows a lot about shepherding. So he thinks God has treated him like a shepherd um, and has made him do these things and blessed him in many ways. And we read that, and we all empathize, empathize with it deeply, and we think, yeah, even though this was written 3,000 years ago, there's a way that God is still my shepherd today. And I can know I'm not, I'm not being forced, I'm not walking around in a field, and God is not making me lie down by a stream, but there's a symbolic significance that the way that I can appropriate the truths of Psalm 23 for me, and I can, I can be encouraged by that. I think similarly um, in uh, Second Chronicles 7, that there are going to be some specific ways that that text will not be not apply it'll apply it's applying to, to solomon as he's dedicating the temple but i think god is the same and the way that the psalmist uh, that, that solomon here is 
appropriating God's work and his life, I think is very legitimate. And I think, um, so we need to be careful about um, over-appropriating, you know, like when the Israelites, um, you know, were called by God to wipe out the Canaanites. I think we need to be really careful um, that we're saying, you know, and the, the Crusaders, I think, took some of those verses too far in appropriating them into their context. But I think this, this, these words of promise that we see in Second Chronicles, um, I think, can be legitimately appropriated for us today, that there is a way that God is with us and speaking to us and that we are his people. Um, and, you know, Paul talks about that th- those of us who are Gentiles have been grafted in to the nation of Israel. Uh, I think what that's Romans chapter 9, I believe. Mm-hmm. So, yes, on, on some level— Yes, definitely. Um, but, but again, it'd probably be good to slow down a little bit and read the verse and say, what principles can we appropriate from this passage into our context today? I love it. Here's another question, David. In the garden, man chose to experience the knowledge of evil. Doesn't that explain yeah. all the evil in the world? Oh, wow. Yeah, that's that's a hard question. Yeah, they the, the 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 two humans, the man and the woman, chose to eat of the fruit of the knowledge of good and evil, and um, I think you could argue that 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 is this the source of all um, kind of evil that is is in the world. I think that's legitimate. Um, I think what we see in Genesis 3, if, you, if people aren't familiar with it, it's a pretty familiar story, but you never know. Um, what we see in Genesis 3, though, is um, ultimately the first man and the first woman were choosing on some level independence from God. God told them, don't eat of this fruit because the day you eat of it, you will die. And in their decision to eat of the fruit, they have said, well, God said this. But we're going to do something different because they they listened to the voice of this servant. Um, And again, this is despite the fact, read through Genesis 1 and 2, God is such an amazing God, such a creative God, such a a great provider for the humans. This garden was amazing. Mm. Um, All kinds of fruit, all kinds of, you know, there's rivers, there's a lush landscape, there's there's precious um, precious metals. It was a beautiful place. And despite the amazing generosity of God, they choose to listen to the voice of the servant and, um, and were deceived into eating the fruit. And as a result, well, um, theologians call this the fall. Um, the text doesn't call it that, but I think that's appropriate. There's a way that they had fallen out of relationship with a good, perfect, creative God and um, and we are still living in the consequences today, the evil that surrounds us and the fallenness of our creation today. It's tragic. Mm-hmm. David, what would Adam and Eve known about death? They're in the garden. <laughs> what is dying? What is what is dying in front of their eyes that they go, oh, that must be death? Because God says, if you eat this, you will die. But wouldn't they go, eh, what's death? You know, we. that's a great question. And you know what? When the text doesn't make it clear to me, I'm gonna be. I'm gonna say. I tell I tell my students all the time, don't make things up. <laughs> and a, a, cor- a corollary to that is, don't repeat things that other people have made up. <laughs> so we don't know what they knew. I mean, right. the first death 
the first death apparently happened at the very end of chapter 3 because God knew that these two humans, they were naked and ashamed. And so what did God do? God made the first sacrifice. And in chapter 3 of Genesis, verse 21, it says the Lord made garments of skins. Well, to make those skin garments, animals needed to die. Oh, that's a good point. Um, but that's the first That's the yeah. first death. Okay. And so blood was shed um, because of, to give them a covering. I think that's a, a perfect uh, symbol of, you know, sacrifices later and obviously Jesus's ultimate sacrifice. But they, they would have no, that death hadn't happened before. So they would, they would have no idea what that meant. Mm-hmm. Dr. David T. Lamb has been my guest and many, many have chimed in hoping to win a book by guessing his middle name, Trouble. Tuffy, Troy, <laughs> Teddy, Tyler. It goes on and on and on. And your middle name now going to be revealed is a very popular word in the state of Minnesota. Tell our listeners <laughs> what it is. It's trout. <laughs> trout. My my wife's maiden name is Trout. And I married a trout. And so the lamb and a trout came together. We've got two animals. Um, and uh, And so Trout is my middle name. And uh, you took yeah. her. You took her last name. Made it your middle name. I took. I took her last name. Her name Trout, and that's my middle name. Fantastic. And so it's da- David T. Lamb. Thank you so much, David. Have a great day. I so appreciate you coming on the show. It's always delightful, Bill. Thank Th- you. Thanks so much, Dr. David T. Lamb has been my guest. Head over to Amazon. You can get any one of his five books. That wraps up our show for the day. It's been great being with you. God bless. Have a good night. I'll see you tomorrow. Thanks for listening. Programming like this is made available through your support. Information available at MyFaithRadio.com.